Hi, I'm Amy. I am mum to Patrick, who was born on the 20th of January 2021. It's been two years since pregnant women in England were ordered to stay at home and isolate. Now, we had no idea how the pandemic would play out, but the weeks and months that followed saw expectant mothers give birth alone tiny newborns shut away from the world and families left without adequate postpartum care, all while our healthcare system did its best to keep us safe. I'm Philippa Guiu, one of the mums who had to face this reality as my daughter was born in July 2020. Join me as I share the experiences of the families who welcomed their little ones during a global pandemic. A warning, some parts of this interview might be difficult to listen to. But these are the stories of the lockdown babies. Thank you so much for being here, Amy. Patrick's sleeping. My little girl's sleeping. We've got a moment's peace to to catch up. January 2021 is when Patrick was born. Tell me what the world was like at that time, or at least here in, in England. We thought we were through the worst of it. And I would say, actually, the week I had Patrick was the week of the highest deaths in the UK. So we had my good friend Danielle had her little girl the summer before, and we thought that was the worst. And so I was, you know, when she was in labour and the hospital was in a horrible state, I remember thinking, oh, you know, I was, uh, you know, six months pregnant or whatever it was thinking, oh, I'm glad by the time I have him, it will be better. And then it did get a bit better. And then that winter obviously hit and we went back into full lockdowns. It was the Christmas that everyone spent Christmas alone. And then, yeah, he was born uh, a few weeks after that Christmas. So, yeah, everyone was terrified and the hospitals were carnage and the clinicians were at their wits end because they had been through the pandemic. (laughs) They thought it was getting better and they were just at peak exhaustion point bless them as were a lot of people in the UK. When you went into hospital to have Patrick did you know at that time that you'd be bringing him home and it could be weeks or months until anybody essentially would be able to meet him? Yeah and that was I think one of the hardest things for me. I remember getting really upset around Christmas Everyone was sending each other gifts, you know, because we knew we weren't be meeting up for big family Christmas. And people did the logical thing of sending baby gifts as well and saying, oh, because we won't see you. So here's your Christmas presents. Oh, and here's a stack of baby clothes and cards that said congratulations on the birth of your baby. And I was, you know, first baby. I hadn't had him. I wasn't through the woods. I wasn't safe and just getting so upset that people were telling me and you know my final month of pregnancy oh Merry Christmas and good luck with that baby see you at some point I remember you know forcing my husband to take those gifts and I couldn't even accept them in a friendly way off people I was like yep thank you in the back of the cars you know as we were meeting people for walks and making my husband hide them and saying this isn't how it's meant to be you're meant to have a baby and then people turn up with gifts you're not giving them three weeks before yeah you just kind of think you'll bring your baby home and then people will visit and they'll maybe bring a nice meal for you and cook for you and and bring the baby a gift yeah not what you imagined not what any of us imagined you spent I guess the whole of your pregnancy in the pandemic what was it like being pregnant during a, a whole pandemic 
I admit it was a real anticlimax in that I think most people just forgot I was pregnant, you know, bar very close friends and my mum and my mother-in-law. It was just, you know, on Zoom, I was working from home exclusively. I'm lucky that I'm in a job where, you know, I could be a bit protected and work from home. But people would only see you from, you know, the head down. So everyone just forgot I was pregnant. There was no mention of it. I never went on a tube. No one ever gave me a seat. I didn't go to pregnancy yoga. And I remember the time just flew, but because there was nothing marking time going past, there was no baby shower. And yeah, it just... I just didn't feel special or, you know, any of that excitement. It just really wasn't there. People forgot about it. And I remember I work in healthcare and was working really, really long hours until silly o'clock. And I remember feeling a bit bitter thinking, I think people have forgot, you know, that I am trying to also grow a child at this point. And if I was in the office, I feel like people would have said, oh, come on, you go home now. I can finish this little bit up, as I did when I was in the office and, you know, colleagues were pregnant. But because I was just tapping away at home, just working really long hours. Do you feel a bit robbed, I suppose, of your pregnancy? And it is, it's the one time, isn't it, in your whole life. People treat you like the queen you deserve to be treated as, and nobody saw you. Yeah, and I think those new friendships that people make when they're pregnant as well. Like we stumped up the money for NCT, which is a huge expense. It's like £300, the most expensive friend you'll ever buy. (laughs) And it was for Zoom calls, you know, and it was actually, I remember, you know, working Monday to Friday, sitting in a chair, not moving as you want to be when your, you know, your body's going through all these changes. And then sitting all day on a Saturday in a chair, meeting these people and just thinking, oh, I think we would really get on if we met in real life and had like the side chats that you would have if you were in a church hall or wherever NCT normally takes place. And not having those relationships really until we were able to meet in a cold park, you know, the following year. There was a lot of things that was just like, yeah, it's not how it's meant to be. I've got friends who've had babies. I've seen how it's went for them. And he was my first baby. And that doesn't happen again in that when you have your second, it's not as you know, people don't get as excited for you as, you know, they can't do it every time. So it's just that experience will never happen again, I guess. Yeah, we'll never get that time back. What was that last Christmas like before you had Patrick? You knew you just had a matter of weeks before you were, your whole lives were about to change and you were about to have this baby and Christmas got cancelled. Yeah, yeah, Christmas got cancelled, which was tough. I remember thinking, so I'm really close to my family, a really big family and just wanted that time to like indulge in the quiet with them and have good chats and be fed and looked after. Um, My husband's in the emergency services, so he's not, you know, always home. He's a shift worker. He's in and out of the house and just, yeah, was sat home alone with a bump, just feeling a bit sorry for myself, really. And it's, as you said, um, before we organised this podcast recording, a lot of other people were in a lot worse situations. So I think that context was always there. But yeah, when it's Christmas Eve and you're home alone with some quality street, knowing that your dad, my dad bought enough food to feed an army, you know, and that I think I bought a chicken from Tesco that I cooked for myself, you know, (laughs) I did feel, yeah, definitely felt a bit sorry for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And then January, we went into the into the three-month lockdown, didn't we? And you obviously had Patrick at that time. So I'm interested to hear what your hospital experience was like at that time because, you know, that's nearly a year, nine a good nine months until the first 
women gave birth uh, in in lockdown who, you know, weren't allowed partners. There were different restrictions. You know, I had my daughter in July 2020, lots of restrictions around when my husband was allowed in. And what was the situation like by January the following year? So I was induced, which I think made things a little bit different to other mums experience in that I, my waters broke, nothing happened with the 24 hour period. So I knew, okay, you have to go in at 11am that day and you're having, we will induce you and we need to get that baby out. But it was that thing of my husband dropped me off and left me and I sat in a hospital all day being, I had a pessary, I had the gels, and then I had the induction drugs and just updating him via text and just felt really out of control. I was also on a ward with a lot of mums who were just really, and I don't know if this is normal, but were really upset, really alone, just had new babies, were struggling. They didn't have their partners there. So I could kind of see the future and it didn't look that bright. So yeah, I think I was on the ward alone. I went in at 11 in the morning and I Joe didn't come in until 10 p.m. that night when I was in really established active labour. And almost to the point where I couldn't even, I didn't even realise he was there, to be honest. I So yeah, I had contractions. I remember trying to time your contractions by yourself. And, you know, the pain had gone to my head at that point. And the ladies were coming in and asking me questions. And yeah, you just wanted someone's hand to hold. But they were very clear that he couldn't come in until I was in very established labour, which actually took a long time and then happened very quickly. So the poor guy just sat down to eat some food, I think. And I was like, now, now, come now. So then he was there for the birth and I don't know how anyone does it without somebody there with them, Um, especially because I ended up needing an epidural and he had to read all these legal bump to me. And so I I physically don't know how people did it without, you know, trying to read a legal contract by yourself. You know, the nurses are very clear that they can't read it to you. So there were points like that. I don't know where people did it alone. And then Patrick was born naturally the following morning. And we had, I think we had quite a cheeky midwife who had just seen a lot of people go through awful experiences and had said, oh, we'll bring you some tea and your toast and your husband has to leave as soon as that's gone. And then as she was walking out the door, she said, but you know, you can take your time with that tea and toast. And I remember I just had one corner left as we were desperately trying to ring everyone, but knowing that, you know, we wanted to tell our family together that he was there. But knowing we had like an hour maybe to try and get around everyone. So it was just really rushed. Also trying to give him time with our son and not spend it all on FaceTime. It was just very rushed. It was very rushed. And yeah, then he left. He left and we went back to the ward together. And because I was induced, I had to stay in overnight. And I think in that scenario, it was actually worse for Joe in that I had I had a really difficult end of my pregnancy so I was just so thrilled to get this baby out and I was actually on cloud nine I don't know if it was the uh, the the drugs were still in me or I was just you know I had Patrick he was doing everything right so I was alone with him in hospital but I guess not alone I had Patrick whereas Joe came home by himself and was getting all of these messages of congrats and well done and he said well he didn't really feel like he'd done much you know he'd been in for a few hours and then come home and sat by himself. I think I had half a bottle of wine, watched TV and went to bed, you know, and that was probably the... Meanwhile, you're with Patrick on your own. Yeah. When you when you look back at that time and, you know, retell that story to me, you know, we can have a laugh about it, but how do you feel when you kind of think about it and retell that story? I think I laugh so I don't cry. 
She says crying. <laughs> no, don't. You'll make me cry because honestly, I had my baby in July, like I said, and it was exactly the same. To hear that you had the same experience all those months later when I hoped and prayed that things would be better yeah. for the women after me, but they weren't worse. No, no. Yeah, still alone. And like I said, I was, I was lucky in the, like, physically I was okay. I mean, some of the ladies on the ward, you know, the, the ladies who had C-sections, their newborns were screaming and they couldn't reach them. And, you know, dads were in for, you know, a couple of hours a day, I think, but at that point, I think a lot of people have campaigned and, you know, the women that had gone before, there was definitely improvements in that period. And I think Joe could come in for two hours a day, which makes, you know, there was the best two hours. But then that's still 20 odd hours where these ladies couldn't pick up their kids and no one was there to help them. You know, the nurses were, midwives were running around. And I do worry that what is the lasting impact of that? these babies that came had been in had been in bellies nice and safe for nine months and then couldn't be held because there was no there wasn't that partner that mum the dad the friend there to help those mums out in the first days and that's your first taste of parenthood being so so hard so yeah laugh so we don't cry I think I I I got lucky in that bit in that I was physically able to do a wee bit more by myself but yeah emotionally I think the main thing was just fear we went in, I was being induced, I, that, you know, I was quite pragmatic in that, you know, you have a birth plan, but don't stick to your birth plan. But it was the last thing I wanted to be, you know, medically induced. It was my worst nightmare come true, doing it by myself. And I'm quite uh, a bolshy person. I, you know, I can walk into a room full of anyone. I'm quite confident. And throughout the whole process, I was just texting Joe, like, I'm really scared. I'm really, really scared. And... Like, we've been together 10 years. And he's like, oh, I've never, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, he's at home texting me back. Like, I don't know what to do when you're scared because he's never really seen me. I've never, I don't think I've ever said that to him, you know, because I'm normally a pretty confident person, but just, yeah, in it alone, terrified. And there's nothing that he could really do through a phone. You can only do so much when you need somebody to touch you and hold you and hold your hand and someone else to listen as well. You know, you're getting told a lot of medical information. I had a really medicalized birth and I'm contracting and in pain and people are trying to tell me things. And it's like, actually, I needed somebody else to listen to that. And then in the break between contractions to then translate and, you know, tell me in, in English. In these interviews, I'm hearing from different women that, you know, they wish they, they didn't have anyone to advocate for them. You know, when you're going through pregnancy and you're doing classes, if you do hypnobirthing or classes like that, you it's all about advocating for yourself and your your birthing partner is usually that person who advocates for you, who speaks on your behalf, who makes sure everything's in line and that was just pulled from under us and there was no one to advocate for us. No, and you're not in a position to do it. You're too busy focusing on what's happening with your body to be making, you know, clinical decisions. Do you still think about that experience or do you feel that you've been able to process and move on in all honesty I know so many you know I'm at that age where a lot of friend people are having children and there's so many people who had such such worse experiences that I think it's really put mine in perspective of like yes I was alone and I was scared 
but in theory it went really well and joe could be there with me for part of it because of the campaigning that women had done beforehand thank god for them and i did have great midwives so i think in context and hearing so many other people's birth stories and i mean yeah people being completely alone like baby coming out and dad not being there alone that it's kind of helped me process I've got a great group of women we've talked it all through and I have been able to park it but I think it will always be there I think the tougher thing for me now is you know my little boy's now one and I'm still hitting daily issues because of the pandemic where it's impacting how I want to parent and the anger I have about that <laughs> almost takes over from you know what, what's gone in the past I, um, my biggest emotions are anger at how things currently are as opposed to kind of the birth experience but I do I do think that would always there and I you know people talk about second and third babies and and things like that and it's like I can't even think about that now because it wasn't it wasn't the the experience that we'd hoped for, you know. When you talk about your anger and worries for Patrick now, a whole year on from when you had him and nearly two years from when this all started, basically, what are your worries? What are your concerns? I'd accepted, oh, my pregnancy is going to be, you know, I fell pregnant as we went into the pandemic and was very accepting of, you know, it is what it is some of your pregnancy is going to be in lockdown and then I accepted that all of my pregnancy was in lockdown and then I accepted that my birth would be in lockdown okay fine and you know there's there's only so much you could take and then I had my maternity leave mostly in lockdown and you know accepted it and moved forward and I'm now at my limit of I cannot accept anymore my I've never seen the nursery my little boy goes to they won't they were they did a one day visits which was a day when we were away and that was it so we drop him at the door we pick him up at the door he screams when I hand him over some days and I don't have the confidence in oh it's fine because I know all the people you're going in to see and I've seen that beautiful space I've seen pictures on the internet and that's my kid that is my kid and I do not see this environment that he is in five days a week and I am at breaking point now and that enrages me he was ill just last week and the GP oh because of COVID the GP won't see him I can't go into an office and it's like he's my first child he has a rash that is covering his body he's not taking fluids I'm there rubbing glasses on him trying to <laughs> give myself confidence that he hasn't got meningitis and the GP you know the aunt's phone message at the GP saying you have to do a, a voice call first and then the GP saying no because of COVID we're not having people in clinic when will this end like I needed somebody to look in his ears and his mouth and we ended up spending a day in A&E. You know, and they're overrun. They can't cope with us. They can't cope and we shouldn't have been in A&E, which is what enraged me. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't an emergency in that I had, you know, took the, the test needed, but I did need somebody with a clinical experience to see if he had an infection and if he needed antibiotics, you know, it's at that point where... I'm exasperated. And it's not fair on them and we have to leave them. They don't get access to doctors. They don't get access to healthcare. If they do get access to doctors, as you say, we have to wait in A&E for hours. I have a very sickly child, constant respiratory problems. And, you know, I have no doubt that it's because she's a lockdown baby and didn't see anyone for months, you know, and we can't get the access to the care for them. I feel your rage. I mean, it's real. It's not fair, but you know what? You can go to the pub, you can go to a restaurant, you can go to Wembley Stadium and watch a football match. Can you see a doctor? Absolutely not. No, 
no and i think the there's not good comms around why now the oh because of covid you right the evening before Patrick fell ill. I had been in a comedy club, a full comedy club with a group of friends. And then the next day I'm hearing voicemail message from the doctor saying, because of COVID, we're not letting people in. And I need that explaining better now. And when will it end? If you could speak to our prime minister and the policymakers, the people who are making these rules, what would you say to them? It would be two things that we now need from them. The first is clarity in communications. And I think that's been one of the most damaging things actually, in the false hope that we constantly had, the rules were never clear during the pandemic. And I remember having my little boy and the rules were so all over the place in that there was the childcare bubble and the support bubble and you could see one person outside and not. And I think it has made lasting damages in our family in that some people felt comfortable enough to come and see him outside on a walk. So some grandparents meeting him and others weren't. Some friends, aunties who wouldn't come near the house and then other people who would drop stuff. And it was so unclear that I think it has left, you know, it has left scars in that people didn't meet him for months and months and months and then felt like they didn't connect with him potentially. And that clarity of comms is still not happening. We still don't know why doctors can't see babies so the first would be clarity comms. And the second is prioritising, you know, prioritisation. Why can we sit in a pub? Why can we go to a comedy club? And we can't look in nurseries. And it just seems that they've put, you know, potentially the the money-making things and the people who shout loudest over potentially the more vulnerable people, which are, you know, young parents, older people. They're, they're busy with other things, they're ill, <laughs> they're trying to raise kids, they're not maybe shouting the loudest and they've just been forgotten about. Um, and instead, you know, the boys are back in the pub, so what else matters? It's just so unclear and I think a lot of the times mums and dads are the group that are trying to do the right thing, we've got kids to look after, so we're like, okay, if we don't want to put them at risk, so we go along with it and, you know, we're not known and there are people campaigning more now which is amazing but we're not known for being the angry group with the busy tired group okay and if you tell us we have to do something for our kids safety we're going to do it but like say two years into this I'm <laughs> we're now all questioning the madness that we're living with when you look back at this whole time being pregnant having a baby bringing a baby home how would you describe it all in one word my word would be shit show your word does not have to be shit show but that would be my word all I can think is just carnage it's just absolute carnage but like emotional carnage in our emotions all over the place Patrick's probably were not meeting people till he was months old parents were friends were just no one knew what to do it was just an emotional emotional roller coaster I think Yeah, you mentioned Patrick not meeting anybody. What were those first weeks and months like when you brought your little baby boy home? You know, you're in the newborn bubble, but that soon wears off, I think it's fair to say. What was that time like for you knowing that you didn't know when anybody was going to be able to meet him? I think it was just constant moments of sadness in that, he would do something amazing. I remember, you know, when he opened his eyes and everyone missed it. No one saw him opening his eyes. Um, Although, you know, those first smiles and trying to, everyone wanting to FaceTime you and Zoom you. And it's like, I don't want to be constantly 
on a screen near my kid. I want you to hold my baby so I can make a cup of tea. Just a constant stream of mini disappointments. And also, I really felt, and I know a couple of friends said the same, your new mum, your hormonal, it's an emotional time. I remember it snowed on like day four and I cried because it snowed. But then you're dealing with the emotional burden of everyone else. So I had family members crying down the phone to me because they're so upset that they can't see him. And I remember calling my sister and mum at one point and just being angry, losing it and saying, I cannot comfort anyone else. Like, I am sad. I cannot be like, oh, you know, but you'll get to meet him at some point and we miss you. And people consistently said, oh, we wish we could be there. Okay, so do Nobody we. wishes more than me. Nobody wishes more than here. me. Exactly. Yeah. And what, you know, yes, they're going through something emotional as well, but just wanting to scream down the phone. I have got a house full of hormones and emotions right now. And you calling me and being upset and putting your emotions on me is just one extra thing that I, I cannot take dealing with everybody else's disappointment on your shoulders when there's nobody more disappointed than you that everybody's missing out on your newborn baby and you don't get your newborn baby back those days and those weeks go so quickly and they just they change so much and you'll never ever get the smell you know and nobody got to experience that yeah and I remember I think I actually owe a lot of people apologies in being quite bitter by the time that people did meet him and people turning up with like lasagnas after three months and me going take it home I don't need it I can cook we figured it out I don't need your food now (laughs) it's it's too too little too late you know we fended for ourselves for so long actually when people then could come and be a bit more helpful by that point I was a bit (laughs) like Oh, I don't need you now. You weren't there. And it wasn't their fault that they weren't there. It was the rules. But maybe, you know, putting up a few more barriers at that point. Now that I'm talking to you, I probably need to send some apology notes around. <laughs> so you can bring that lasagna back, actually. Now, yes. now he's one. I, I kind of need it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll take it now. I'll He'll take it now. It. But, yeah. What does your husband make of the whole thing? Because, you know, I think husbands, partners, wives, whatever... They're also a bit forgotten, aren't they? Oh, you yeah. know, they didn't get to be there with you. And and my husband says to me, like, he says to me, I feel so sad that you had to go through that and there was nothing he could do. And I think that does weigh heavy on him. So I just wondered how your husband is and what he makes of it all, really. Joe's is a pretty, like, thick-skinned guy. And I think that's what made it even worse, actually, when he did say, you know, oh, you know, you delivered a baby and then I came home, sat on the sofa by myself. Like the thought of that just just breaks my heart. I think the not coming to appointments is terrifying for the guys because he was sat in a car outside and it is first baby and you don't know what news they're going to deliver. You don't know if they're going to scan you and then not be a heartbeat. And he is sat in that car terrified every single time, but not able to maybe express it as much as he'd have wanted to because we're the ones in there doing that. So they're, you know, trying to feel for you, but they're also going through their own emotions that feel secondary. So maybe blokes being blokes don't share them as well as, you know, they maybe should because you're going through so much. Um, so I think, yeah, terrifying for that, for him, sat outside appointments, not being able to come. I had a scare at one point where I went for a general checkup and there was, they couldn't get a heart, the heartbeat they wanted. So they took me straight to hospital and that was early. And again, he wasn't able to come in. And I just can't imagine 
sitting outside in a car, just waiting to hear possibly the worst news. So I think terrifying during the pregnancy. And then their other fear was bonding with that baby. When I did come home with Patrick in that I'd spent a good few days by this point, I think two and a half days in hospital with him pretty, pretty alone. And it's amazing how quickly you get to know them in those two and a half days. And it's hard for dads to bond with new babies anyway, because they've not been carrying them in their belly for nine months. And then they miss out on those crucial first days. And then how annoying that your wife comes home and he does that little cry and you go, oh no, that's that's because he's hungry. And oh no, or they see something, oh look at, you know how it is, look at this poo. Oh yeah, he did one like that yesterday. Like you rob them of those special first moments and those first nappy changes and helping with breastfeeding. I had a nightmare of breastfeeding, which was not helped by breastfeeding in parks, trying to meet people in the early months in January. And he just missed out on that kind of those upfront bits, not coming to breastfeeding appointments where the woman was showing me how to do it and him not seeing that. So then we come home and we're arguing because I'm going, no, you really have to slam his head in. He's like, surely this can't be right. That looks violent. And I was like, no, that is what the woman said. She said, you've really got to you know, push them onto the boob. And having like proper tiffs with him because he couldn't be there to see it, you know. So I think their their bond with the baby, but also their bond as being this the equal parent is just harder when they're not going through it in the way that you are. Do you ever worry about his not future, but his, you know, what kind of person he'll be because he was born in a pandemic? Do you think his personality's been affected at all or not so much? I think the time that we had him, we got lucky in that the first few months, yeah, he didn't see people. But by the spring, we were able to do more and actually he could be passed around. And we just got in there. I think we're, I'm probably one of the the later mums who will tell you, Whereas my friends who had babies just a few months before had six month olds that hadn't been held. Whereas I had a three month old that hadn't been passed around so much. And by the time he was three, four months old, he was. Um, so he adapted pretty, pretty quickly, I think. So no, I'm I'm not worried about that. I know a lot it is an issue for a lot of the a lot of mums who had babies earlier, I think, but I think he was just just young enough that he could be passed around a lot of people. And I had a really great NCT group as well, who happily came out. And I remember we sat and drank beers in the snow on tables in Peckham Rye, meeting each other for the first time, literally freezing our tits off with babies on our (laughs) boobs, trying to have a beer and introduce ourselves in the cold without our partners sitting on separate benches <laughs> but I did, two meters apart <laughs> two meters apart but we did have that I did have that group who were prepared to you know comply with the rules but also kind of s- s- suck it up and pass yeah. the babies around there so I'm not worried about how his birth and the first year of his life impacted will impact him in the future I am worried about like our nursery journey together and his healthcare journey together moving forward Thank you so much to Amy for sharing her story. I'm Philippa Giu and you've been listening to Lockdown Babies. For help and support related to birth trauma or birth-related PTSD, please visit the show notes where you'll find links to some useful resources. And if you'd like to get in touch, visit ogpodcasts.co.uk or follow us on Instagram. Just search Lockdown Babies Podcast. Bye-bye for now.